Good morning. Jim, thanks so much for inviting me to be here today. This is, this is a joy. I'm very glad to be here. Jim is, uh, as he's already said, he's a good friend of mine. He's actually one of my most like-minded friends who is a pastor, which means when, when he and I and our network of friends are discussing a variety of theological positions or things like that, uh, chances are Jim and I are going to agree, and the rest of them are going to disagree. And this is good news for you guys, because it means you have a pastor who's right about most things. <laughs> I mean, it's, so he is a gift to you. Uh, his friendship has been a gift to me, and um, not sure why he asked me to come, except maybe perhaps for you guys to suffer through one of my sermons, but I am very glad to be here to share from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 with you. So if you would go ahead and find 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I know Jim has been faithfully taking you guys through this excellent, very instructive um, book of the New Testament, uh, not something that, that people want to say about churches like, oh, hey, your church, yeah, you're like the Corinthian church, just not exactly uh, a compliment to, uh, to churches, and yet it's so applicable because my church, you guys, we're all a mess. We need help. God's Word and God's Spirit are here to help us, and so here I'm going to pick up in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Let me go ahead and read the scriptures to us this morning, and then we'll jump right into this. Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. May he add his blessing to the reading of his word. Well, there are so many things that sound like wisdom, but in fact, are simply not true. Some of these things I know you're going to already know. But for so long, and when I was a kid, and I'm sure many of you have, have heard this and maybe even said it to your kids, any, any, of these, any of these things I'm going to debunk right now, I just apologize ahead of time, just talk to your kids later about it. But you do not have to wait one hour after eating to swim. How many of you know that? You do not have to. Mom and dads who are saying that to their kids, you're just not telling the truth, sorry. They just, they just don't want you to get back in there. You do not have to do that. Sitting, here's another one. Sitting close to the TV, like watching television, sitting close to it, playing video games, you know, your kids are in front of it, they're two feet away from it, you know, it's a giant screen and they're playing it, it will not hurt their eyes, I'm sorry, it's just, it sounds like wisdom, sounds like wisdom, it's just man's wisdom, it's simply not true, it will not have any long-term effect on your eyes or their eyes, I know you're disappointed in that but the American Academy of Ophthalmology actually studied this and found there is no long-term effect to standing in front of the television a foot and a half away playing video games or watching TV. So maybe it'll melt their brains, I don't know. Maybe it'll cause brain cancer, but it's certainly not going to hurt their eyes. It's man's wisdom, and it's not true. Eating carrots will not give you better eyesight. Not gonna. 
You know, the effect of eating carrots on your eyes is the same as eating cheese doodles. That's what it is. So when you're ready to snack, like and your options are bag of carrots, you know, little carrots, or bag of cheese doodles, your choice right there. When you're ready to sit in front, when your kid's ready to sit in front of the television and snack, and you're thinking, you know, hey, have something healthy, have something that's good for your eyes, they can just grab the cheese doodles, sit there, watch TV, they're going to be fine. Of course, you know this, swallowing gum, it doesn't stay in your stomach, right? It doesn't, how many heard that threat when they were a kid? I did. You know, don't swallow your gum because it'll stay in there like seven years or 17 years or whatever the rumor was back then. Simply not true. Um, Nothing like uh, watermelon seeds, any of those things that you eat, like they are, listen, they're going to go the way of nature and just pass. Um, going outside with wet hair, it does not get you sick. Sorry, doesn't. doesn't. Doesn't affect you at all. Just makes you look funny as you go outside with your hair wet. It does not make you sick. These are man's wisdom or grandma's wisdom, somebody's wisdom, one final one here, uh, told to wear a hat when you go out in the cold because you lose more heat out of your head. This is actually surprising. This is the longest standing medical myth. It's just not true. You don't lose more heat out of your head than you do out of any other part of your body that that doesn't have any clothes on it. If you have short sleeve, you're going to lose the same amount of your arm. If you don't have shoes and socks on, you're going to lose the same amount. And this is true even of those of you who are bald. True. True. You're, you're not going to lose more heat out of your head. These are words of wisdom that are from men, but they're simply not trustworthy. The Corinthians were saturated in a culture that exalted the wisdom of poets and orators and philosophers, and they hung on every word that they said. Oh, did you hear this guy share that? Oh, did you hear this guy share that? And they hung on that, and they believed what these people said. So-and-so said this last week. Were you there? Did you hear when he was sharing those words of wisdom? And Paul comes in here, and he says, the gospel's not like that. The gospel's not like that. The message of salvation is not the wisdom of men. And this passage that we are considering this morning, this is not a new topic. It is, it is the same topic that Paul's been discussing here with the Corinthians church, and that is God's wisdom versus man's wisdom. Not the same. Man's wisdom cannot save your soul. Man's wisdom cannot help you in your darkest moment of your life when you need something, when you are desperate, when you are hurting, when you are cold, when you are lonely. Man's wisdom will not help you. The power of God will help you. Here's the theme for today, and then we'll jump into these couple of things. Here's the theme for you. Saving faith is not found in the wisdom of men nor in lofty speech. It's not where it's found. It's not found in man's wisdom. It's never found in man's wisdom or in lofty speech, like those Greek philosophers or those poets or those orators who would just stand on the street corner and and say what they thought were wise things. That is not where you find saving faith. In order for saving faith to be genuine, we must know two things. We must know the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. You must know that message And you must know the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Those are the two things I'm going to have us look at this morning. Our faith must rest 
on these things, the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified and the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. So number one, we must know this. We must know the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. We must know the gospel. And I know Jim is a faithful faithful sharer of the gospel, so I know you guys know what that is. Jesus Christ and him crucified. We must know the gospel, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm I'm the worst. That's the gospel message. It's not mere wisdom. He's been talking about that for verses and verses and verses prior to chapter 2. It's not mere wisdom. A A committee didn't sit around and come up with the gospel. They didn't sit around and say, how, how can people be right with God? How is this going to work out for people to be right with God? Let's see. You got any ideas? Anybody got any ideas? And then somebody raises their hand and says, I've got this crazy idea. But how about this, this rabbi who is... Who, did, did I just turn this off? Okay. I, I'm, I'm dangerous up here. I'm just telling you. So, it, it's not as if someone sat around and said, here's a good idea. Some rabbi you know, from Israel, the armpit of the Roman Empire, some rabbi, uh, he'll be tried as a criminal, crucified, and then that will save everybody. That is not how the gospel works. It is not mere wisdom. He's already said that several times prior to chapter 2, and of course says it in verse 1. When I came to you, did not come proclaiming to you the testimonies of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I already heard that it is foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block to the Jews, not mere wisdom. No man made up this gospel. It's also not just inspirational or motivational speech. That's not what it is. It's not just a feel-good speech. We must know the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it's not just some, hey, everything's going to turn out okay kind of message or some inspirational lofty speech is what he calls it here in verse 1. It's not what it is. How many Lord of the Rings fans are in the room? You know, there's... There's this part in The Return of the King in the movies, not the book, in the movies, The Return of the King. There's this part where Aragorn gives this speech before they go, before they meet battle with the orcs and the trolls of Mordor, before they come pouring out, and, and they're standing there, and they're all afraid. All the men are afraid. They look afraid, and then Aragorn says this. It's this moving speech. Some of you know this speech. He says, a day may come when the courage of men fails. And we forsake friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. How many of you remember this speech he says? It is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields when an age of man comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight by all you hold dear in this good earth. I bid you stand, men of the West. And they're all brave and they stand up and they're ready to fight. That is not what the gospel message is. Not an inspirational speech to make you feel good, make you feel ready to take on the world. That is not the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now listen, I, I like to be moved. I like to be moved by, by good music. I like to be moved by Aragorn's speeches. But that is not what the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified is. It is not a motivational speech. It's not even a popular speech. It's bloody. 
It's ugly. It's raw. It's death. That's what Jesus Christ and him crucified is. Now, I, I hope that it elicits emotion from you. And I, I hope so. I hope you don't hear the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified and say, well, that's just, that's just a common thing I've heard all over the place and that it doesn't elicit emotion. I hope your response to it's more Captain Kirk than it is Spock. And I hope you're more like, yeah, passionate, hear about it, and not just, well, standing there logical, that's, that's just information about Jesus. No, the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified should move you. It should move you. Christ died for sinners. Christ died for you. It should move you. But it's not a motivational speech at all. The message we must know, the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified, this is what it is. The cross, a sacrifice for sinners. It's not neatly packaged on how to improve your life. No, it's a bloody solution to the ugliness and rebellion of sin. That's what it is. Jesus Christ and him crucified. John Stott says it this way. Divine love triumphed over divine wrath by divine sacrifice. The cross was an act simultaneously of punishment and amnesty, severity and grace, justice and mercy. That's the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And in order for saving faith to be genuine, we must know this. We must know the bad news before we know the good news. The bad news that we are sinners, that that we're in need of salvation. That, That the law says we will not measure up. We cannot measure up. But then the gospel comes in and says, Christ has done this on your behalf. That's the good news. You know the bad news. You know the good news. The gospel is for losers. And guess what? Everyone's a loser. (laughs) The gospel is for the dirty and the downcast, for the fearful, for the unclean, for all who have fallen short of the glory of God, and all are sinners. That's what the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified for. It is not a message of try harder, do a better job. No, that would be the wisdom of men. That's how men would come up with this. You want to know how to be right with God? You try harder. That's what you do. You pull yourself up and you try harder next time. That would be the wisdom of men. It is a message not of the wisdom of men. It is a message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is a message of sins forgiven. It is a message of your sins forgiven. That because of Christ's finished work on the cross, because of his finished work, you and I are accepted. God is fully satisfied by the cross of Jesus Christ. He is fully satisfied by Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what you must know. That's what you must know in order for saving faith to be genuine. And this is what Paul says. He says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's verse 2. Nothing among you. That's what, that's what I decided to know. I, I came and I decided to know nothing among you. It doesn't mean there weren't other important theological things that he wanted to discuss. He discussed them here in 1 Corinthians. He hits up other issues 
He hits up a, a lot of issues about division and unity and spiritual gifts, and a lot of things are covered. The resurrection here in 1 Corinthians, he covers a lot of stuff, but he's saying this is what's central. This is what's most important. This is the centrality of the message. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is what you must know. And I, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is what was primary for Paul and must be primary for you and must be primary for all churches everywhere or else they lose the centrality of the gospel. I pastor an interesting church in Rocky Mount. We're a non-denominational church and we are loaded with people from all kinds of interesting and different backgrounds. It has been an ongoing joke. I've been there 15, over 15 years now. It is an ongoing joke that we call it the Island of Misfit Toys from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You know what I'm talking about? They get to that island and those toys, they're messed up. I mean, they just don't look right. They don't talk right. They don't work right. That is Servant's Heart Fellowship. We are a group of people who some are charismatic, some are not some come from all kinds of different backgrounds of, of, of much church, and some come walking in the door who don't even know how to behave in church, and it's a mix of a lot of different people. You could sit next to somebody who had a completely different end-time belief than you have. You could, you could sit next to somebody who might view something different. We are a very, very mixed church, and yet it works. Why does it work? I'll tell you why it works. Jesus Christ and him crucified is number one at our church. All other things are secondary. So we hold to the primacy of this message, the centrality of this message, Jesus Christ and him crucified for sinners. We know that that is our only hope. That is your only hope. One scholar says it this way. Of all the religious systems of the world, Christianity alone provides the only thing that can save man from his lost state, namely a sin bearer. Of all the alleged redeemers in the world, Jesus alone can and does bear the sins of mankind in such a way that their consequences can be escaped. Other religions honor prophets Heroic figures, even alleged saviors, but none has a sin bearer, a propitiator, a true redeemer. Christ and Christ alone bore our sins in his body on the cross. End quote. That's the truth of the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it's, it's not optional. It's not a, a small slice of of the pizza pie of what it means to be a Christian. No, it is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to know the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. But knowing that message is not enough. Knowing who he is, knowing what he did, knowing the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified is not saving faith. Number two, we must also know the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Not just the message. Paul's very clear about the message. Uh, Jim Weekly is very clear about the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified, your only hope, the only hope for sinners. 
But that's not enough. You must know personally the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is not some vague concept. It's not an atonement theory. It is personal. Christ bore the real sins of real sinners, real people, you and me, who commit real sins. He bore those at the cross. And this is the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not a theory. It's an actuality if you are a believer. You know the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know what it means to come from darkness into light. You know what it means to know that you didn't do this. He did this. You didn't fix yourself. He rescued you. He brought you out of the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of his son and whom he loves. He did this for you. And this is the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Look up just a little bit in chapter 1, verse 18. Something you've already looked at a few weeks ago. Paul says, The word of the cross is folly. It's, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, there it is. It is the power of God, the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified, the power of the cross, the reality that you have been set free from your sins. It is the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Romans 1.16 says something similar. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what Paul says. You must know that. Your faith must rest in that. Not the wisdom of men, but it must rest in the power of God. Verse 5 of chapter 2. It's not signs and wonders he's talking about here. Now there's, there's a lot in, in 1 Corinthians here about spiritual gifts. And the Corinthian believers were overly zealous about some of the spiritual gifts. And a good portion of 1 Corinthians is about correcting that, channeling that to a way that is edifying and encouraging to believers. But he's not talking about that. When he talks about a demonstration of the Spirit and of power in verse 4, he is talking about you were dead in your sins and you've been brought to life by God. Like you were spiritually dead in your trespasses and then you were raised alive in Christ. We must know the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is conversion. That's the demonstration of the Spirit's power. The Holy Spirit applies the saving work of Jesus Christ to sinners like like you and me. That's the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. So you, you have to know the message. You have to know the gospel, but it also has to be personal. You have to have experienced the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And friends, it is comprehensive in scope. How many of your sins did Christ atone for? Thank God, all of them. It is comprehensive in scope. All of my sins have been atoned for by the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. They're paid in full. That is the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. All of my guilt, all of my stains, we just sang about it a few minutes ago, they've been washed away. What a Savior. Hallelujah. That is the 
power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, you can't just know the message of it. It can't just be something you intellectually have heard or you read about in a book or you heard a good sermon. It is more than that. It is the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not in the presentation that Paul brought. He says here, I came to you. I was weak. I was in fear. There's much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. How un-Greek-like he must have looked. Instead of being an orator who's giving an eloquent speech that's just persuading the hearts and minds of the listener, he just comes stumbling and bumbling and says, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then it is the power of the gospel that saves people, not the speech, not his, not his speaking ability. Not persuasive speech. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that saves anyone. Anyone at all. This is good news for us preachers that preach horrible messages from time to time. And we just get to the end of the message and you don't even have to tell us. I mean, this is just the reality of, you know who knows first? Do you want to know who knows first that they've preached a bad message? The preacher has, because he's sitting here, standing here, preaching a message, thinking this is going absolutely nowhere. So you don't even have to say later on, hey, you know, that wasn't one of your best. He knows that. This reality of it. But salvation is not dependent upon how well I speak or Jim or anyone else or Paul. It is based upon the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. For the Greeks, it lay in the power of persuasion of the speaker. Oh, did you hear that guy? He's fantastic. I could hear him all day long. I could hear him all week. I hope he comes back. I hope he comes back to the street corner again and again and again. For the Greek culture, the power lay in the persuasion of the person who was speaking. Not so for us. It lies in the work of God, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross that obliterates the power of sin and death. That is the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. The Holy Spirit applies this to our hearts. This is why regeneration precedes faith. God does this work in your heart and in your eyes. Your eyes are open. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead in sin, but now I'm raised to life. Ephesians 2, 5. For even when we were dead, dead in our trespasses, not dying, not dying, dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. You must know the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified to bring dead hearts to life is the greatest demonstration of power that there ever could be. Rebels welcomed in, sinners saved, all your guilt and shame washed away by the blood of the Lamb. This is, this is greater than, than any orator's power. This is greater than a gift of prophecy. This is greater than miracles of healing. Perhaps the Corinthians were guilty of being much more excited about the gifts of the Spirit than they were about the gift of salvation. There is no greater gift. There is no greater demonstration of the power of God than taking some wretch like me, a wretch like you, and washing us white as snow when we are hopeless and helpless and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. That is the power of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And you must know that. The message and the power. 
This passage also shows us where our salvation rests. Verse 5, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Your, your faith does not rest in anything man-made. Anything man-made, anything you could come up with, anything you think you could add to the gospel, anything you think about yourself that's maybe worthy to be in the presence of God, no, it is not resting in any wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When I was in Bible college, I had a professor, his name's Joe McKinney. He was a hippie, a, a bona fide hippie. He was at Woodstock. So does that qualify? Like you're, at, you're actually at Woodstock. So he was at Woodstock, hippie. Eventually, he was gloriously saved. And he tells this story. It's hilarious. He, he became a believer. And then the next morning, he woke up in his apartment. And he looked around. And he saw that he still had, he still had a lot of pot. Just laying there. Like bags of pot. And so he took this, he, he, he said, he, it's better for him to tell it than me, but he, he took this deep breath and said, well, I guess I can't do that anymore. And he took all his pot and he flushed it down the toilet. But then he goes on to say, that if you're not careful, if you're not careful, this is, this is a word for all of us who've been believers for a long time. If you're not careful, that's what your Christian life turns into. Oh, not the, theologically, I know, orthodox to, 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 the, to the, the ninth degree. I know that. We are orthodox. We believe the doctrines of grace. We believe this. But practically, your life can become, well, I guess I can't do that anymore. Or I guess I have to do this now. And all of a sudden, your salvation is not resting in the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. You are not resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Instead, you're starting to relate to God based upon how you feel you've done last week, last month, last year. Oh, I haven't been praying like I ought to be. God's probably really disappointed in me. I haven't been in the Word like I'm supposed to be. I didn't respond at work in a way that was godly to those people when they asked me that question. So, so my acceptance and God must, He must just be tolerating me. If we are not careful, we will think that God's love and acceptance of us, at least in our practical outworking of it, is somehow based not on the power of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, but on how well we're performing or how bad we're performing. And then we'll walk around with low-level guilt because we've somehow located our salvation not in the power of God, but in my ability to somehow follow after Him. It's be careful of that. You must know the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul comes and he's a, he says, I'm a wreck. I was in weakness. I was in fear. I was in much trembling. Not really a great display of just how together he had it in that moment. Not at all. And yet he is confident that his salvation rests not in how well he was doing, not in how well he presented on Sunday mornings, not how, how well it seemed like he and his family and his kids all had it together, but it is resting not in the wisdom of men, not in anything men could come up with, but in the power of God. That is where mine and your acceptance and forgiveness is always located. We must know the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. You're just as loved, just as forgiven, just as accepted on your worst day as you are on your best day. 
on that nightmare of a day as you are on Sunday morning when everything looks fine. Fully based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. We must know the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Is that where you're resting? Is that what you know? I hope so. You know the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified for sinners? And do you know the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified? Do you realize that when you go to God, just like the old song says, nothing, nothing in my hand I bring, nothing. Simply to your cross I cling. That is knowing the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. So the application for this is pretty easy. Summed up in four words, cling to the cross. There it is. Cling to the cross. When you fail utterly and fall on your face, cling to the cross. When everything seems to be going pretty good and yet in the back of your mind, you know, something's, something's about to happen. How many of you live your life like that? You know what I'm talking about. Like you're going along, you're like, everything has been unusually calm lately. Something horrible is about to happen. And then guess what? It does. Life in this broken world, cling to the cross. It is how Christ saved you. It is a demonstration of God's power. It is a demonstration of his love. Cling to the cross. There really is a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide, where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down. There's a place where sin and shame are powerless. Amen? Sin and shame, powerless. Where my heart has peace with God and forgiveness. Where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down. You know where that place is? You know where you can find that? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and, and then you guys can finish up however you finish up here.